Well, good morning, everyone. Can I say what an incredible blessing it is for me to be here with you this morning? I've been looking forward to this for months and months and months. And when we started City Church, there were a number of American churches that, that made gifts towards us, uh, financial gifts, uh, gifts of their prayers for us, which we saw answered in incredible ways. But I think uh, you all have gifted us in a way that no other church has in gifting us Barbara Wright uh, for four years. So I'm coming today to bring the heartfelt thanks of 350 people at City Church who feel incredibly blessed uh, by Wildwood Church. So thank you very much. And keep that passage open in front of you and let me pray uh, as we begin to look at that. Father God, you are a God who speaks life into being. You are a God who is mighty to save. You are a God who sends heralds of your good news. We pray as we we look at this account of of this first missionary journey cross-culturally, Lord, you might speak into our ears and your word might go deep down into our hearts that we might leave this place transformed, encouraged, built up, spurred on to live for your praise and glory and to live with a real compassion for the lost. Amen. Uh, Well, I hail from the land of uh, John Wycliffe, of Cranmer, of Ridley, of Knox, of John Owen, just 18 miles away from where I was born in Hillingdon Hospital, stand the rooms in which one of the greatest statements of the Christian faith was put together, the the Westminster Standards. Those are the standards of your own denomination, the PCA. Yet in the UK today, Christianity is treated as little more than a historical and cultural relic. UK church attendance has plummeted from 33% in 1900 to less than 10% today. And that's across all denominations, Protestant, Catholic, anything. For my own city, the city of Manchester, the, the most liberal city in the UK, you need to halve that again. Church attendance is less than 4%. And and if you're wondering how many people attend a gospel-centered church in our city, it is just 1% of the 2.8 million people who live there. Spiritually, the United Kingdom is best described as being post-Christian. The prevailing worldview is post-modern. Little is regarded as absolute. And there is only a fading remnant of the Judeo-Christian moral, political, and legal heritage. As Mark Sayers puts it, people feast upon the fruit of our Christian past, whilst gutting it 
of its costs, commitments, and responsibilities. You know, for, for the first time in our history in the UK, there are more atheists living than agnostics or theists. Now, you might be thinking, sitting there thinking, phew, glad I'm here in Tallahassee. (laughs) According to the latest Pew Research Center data, 87% of Floridians believe in God. 68% claim to attend church at least several times a year. And 71% of Floridians pray at least weekly. But you do know that church attendance is dropping here in Florida, not going up. And history teaches us that that what happens in one part of the English-speaking world inevitably filters through and impacts everywhere else as well. So make no mistake, as, as secular culture marches on, the church in the U.S. will face similar challenges to what we're facing in the U.K. right now. Which means, in a very real sense, when I jumped on that aeroplane from Manchester Airport and came over the Atlantic, that aeroplane, for you, was really a time machine. I am coming to you this morning back from the future to share where your church here in Tallahassee might be 10, 20, 30 years down the road. So I guess that begs the question, well, what is to be done? Should we just wring our hands in horror, give up? Is there any hope? Well, I want to suggest this morning that there is hope, great hope. The UK is ravished by materialism, by, by relativism, by, by hedonism. It is a place where the attitude of the majority is simply to do as each sees Does that sound familiar to you? It it was the very attitude you would have found in the first century world. The the attitude of the culture that Jesus sent those first disciples into saying, go and make disciples of all nations. The challenge we face in the UK is no different to the challenge that those first disciples that Jesus sent out faced. The question for us this morning is, How are we going to respond? Uh, The pastor, John Piper, famously said that there are only three responses to the Great Commission. Go, send, or disobey. What are we going to do? What are you going to do? But we don't want to disobey, so we must be committed to either going on mission or sending on mission. And that's exactly what the church in the first century did. Let's dive into Acts chapter 13. Uh, Here in Acts chapter 13, we're we're witnesses to a meeting of the church in Antioch. That's in modern-day Turkey. Now, Now, Acts chapter 11, just back a page, tells us how that church was planted. You see, 
fierce, savage persecution had broken out in Jerusalem. And the Christians in Jerusalem had scattered all around the known world. Now, now most Christians scattered to, 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 to the areas where the Jewish people lived. But, but some of these Christians, they packed their bags and they headed to the city of Antioch. Verse 21 of chapter 11 tells us that the Lord was with these Christians. His hand was with them and a great number of people believed. And so with that, a church was planted in the third largest city in the Roman Empire. Now, now zoom forwards a few years, and we find this fledgling church plant sending and planting churches. It was the Antioch Project, as I like to describe it. And this morning, I want us to notice three things about this Antioch Project, three things about sending in mission. Number one, number one, sending is driven by worship. Uh, Look at what we find going on in verses 1 to 3 of chapter 13. Uh, Verse 2, we're told that the leaders of the church were worshipping the Lord and fasting. Now now notice, in in verse 1, the names of the leaders of the church are given. Why? Dr. Luke, the the author of the book of Acts, he is very, very precise. He he always chooses details for specific reasons, and he hardly ever gives the names of people in his account. Why does he give the names here? We'll take a look at the names. First, we have Barnabas. Now, Barnabas was a Jew. In Acts chapter 4, we're told that he was born in Cyprus, but, but later moved to Jerusalem. Then we're told about Simeon. Simeon, we're told, was called Niger. Now, that's a Latin name, and it literally means black. So most probably, Simeon was a black North African. Lucius. Well, Lucius also hailed from Africa, from Cyrene, which is modern-day Libya. The Menaean, we're told, he he was a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch. The word used there means that he was one who eats together or, or, or nurses together with Herod the Tetrarch. He literally grew up in the royal palace. Menaean, we English people say Menaean was posh. You know, he was upper crust. And then we have Saul. Saul was from Tarsus in modern-day Turkey. Do you see? The church in Antioch was mixed. It was mixed socially. It was mixed economically. It was mixed racially. And Luke, here in Acts chapter 13, he wants us to see that this diversity in the church was represented in the church's leadership. When City Church was planted eight years ago, uh, we were just 27 adults. 26 of us were white British people, and we had one Iranian asylum seeker. Now, that is just not what Manchester looks like. 
The nations come to Manchester. We have over 180 languages spoken by long-term residents in Manchester. So we began praying for growth and diversity in our church. And God has wonderfully answered our prayers. We now have believers from Ghana and Kenya and Nigeria and India and China United States of America, that's our diversity. Taiwan, Indonesia, Iran, Zimbabwe, Argentina, Kuwait, South Africa, and throughout Europe. There are 40 different nationalities in total at City Church. And we're praying that God would continue to raise up leaders from among those nationalities because a church always ends up looking like its leadership. Like those who... Teach and lead the church in worship. But but, but why? Why is that important in Antioch? Why is that important for us here uh, in Manchester? Well, Well, two reasons why it's important. Reason number one, because that is what the church in glory is going to look like. The church that God bought by Christ's precious blood, is people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. That's what Revelation 5 teaches us. And reason number two, more subtle, but right here in Acts chapter 13, I think, really, really importantly, multicultural, multiracial churches are the best place churches to reach out and send cross-culturally. Listen, it was no coincidence that the first church ever to intentionally send out missionaries cross-culturally to another nation and people group, the church in Antioch, was also the first church to gather in cross-culture from different economic, social, and racial groups. Now, you know that. I, I know you know that here at Wildwood Church. Do you know how I know you know that? Well, because you have already sent out a cross-cultural missionary to Manchester. But Barbara Wright, someone who you gathered in. And Barbara is actually the first African-American woman to be sent out by MTW. You know this, but it bears me repeating it. If we are serious about sending out highly contextualized, gospel-driven missionaries to plant new churches in new places, rather than just sending out missionaries who will be fish out of water, then what we need to be doing here is gathering cross-culturally. Here at Wildwood, back home for me in the city of Manchester. Anyway, we, we find this multicultural, multiracial leadership of the church in Antioch there in verse 2, worshipping God. You see, mission, sending, always goes hand in hand with worship. Sometimes Christian speakers and preachers can give the impression that mission is the ultimate goal of the church. Have you heard that? Missional has become the, the kind of in adjective for Christians writing books. So they write books about being a missional church. 
being about uh, missional communities meeting in homes. Uh, We talk about being missional people. I'm sure you've heard it. But mission is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. As John Piper puts it so memorably, mission exists because worship doesn't. We human beings, we are designed to worship the God who made us. But because we don't, Christians, we are sent out into the world with the wonderful good news of the gospel. You see, mission is a means to an end. The end of bringing people to do the very thing that they were created by God to do, to worship him. But here's the thing that comes out of this passage. Worship is not only the end of mission, it is also the driver of mission as well. It was as the leaders in the church of Antioch worshipped God, as they fasted, verse 2, that they sent. Just before City Church launched as a church, one of the members of the, the launch team came up to me after a sermon that I was preaching, which, which was a sermon especially for the launch team. And she said to me, oh. she just arrived in Manchester. She just moved to Manchester from Birmingham. And she, she came up to me and she said, Ralph, Ralph, thank you for sharing that. But, you know, I, I listened to that. I listened to your heart for Manchester. I just, I just feel like that's not where I am. I, I'm here, but I don't really want to be here. I don't love this city like you love this city. Maybe you can relate to that. Maybe you think God might be calling you to do something similar to what God called Barbara to do. Maybe you might be feeling that that God is calling on you to be a church planter or, or to go with a church plant somewhere else in Tallahassee. But you hear from missionaries and you think, I would just... I would just never have a passion for Manchester like Barbara. I, I will never have a passion for, for, for going to Beijing like those missionaries I hear about with MTW. I will never have a passion for, for relocating my family to the south side of Tallahassee to plant a church. That just can't be me. Let me be honest with you. I didn't grow up in Manchester. I grew up in London. And my love for the city of Manchester, it fluctuates wildly. Uh, my wife's family, they live down in Cornwall. Now, now, Cornwall is like our equivalent of Martha's Vineyard. And it's 320 miles away from Manchester. Now, now I know for you, 320 miles is like a short drive, okay? But for us, it's literally the other end of the country. Now, Cornwall is far, far more beautiful than Manchester. It has better beaches than Manchester. We have no beaches at all. It has much nicer and bigger houses than Manchester. And for Anna and I, it has a first-class childcare service. Sometimes I wish I lived in Cornwall. But here's the thing. My 
love, my heart, my desire for Manchester correlates directly with my worship of God. Samuel Zweymer was a missionary in the Middle East at the end of the 19th century. And he said this, listen to this. He said, the great pioneer missionaries all had inverted homesickness. This passion to call that country their home that was most in need of the gospel. In this passion, all other passions died. Before this vision, all other visions faded. This call drowned out all other voices. When I worship God, I want his glory. I want all mouths to declare his praises. And my passion for an easy life on the beaches of Cornwall fades. And I call the gritty, drug-riddled streets of the city of Manchester home. Because I long for Manchester to declare his praises. You see, worship is the end of mission, but worship is also the driver of mission. Sending is driven by worship. Secondly, sending means sacrifice. Now, now chapter 13 isn't the first time the church in Antioch sent out Saul and Barnabas. Uh, Just look back again to chapter 11. Uh, The church there in chapter 11, it, it had only been around for about a year when news came via the prophet Agabus, verse 28, that a famine would ravage the entire Roman world. Now, now this famine hit Jerusalem particularly hard. And so in verse 30 of chapter 11, the church in Antioch sent Barnabas and Saul out with a financial gift to Jerusalem. You see, being a missional church means being willing to sacrifice financially. The, the people in the church in Antioch... They decided that, that they weren't going to buy that larger villa with a swimming pool. They decided that, that this year they were going to cash in their season ticket at the Antioch Arena. They decided that they didn't need that bigger chariot because there were other more pressing gospel needs they needed to sacrifice for. And those needs were hundreds and hundreds of miles away. Can I say that you here at Wildwood, you already are a great model of that sort of financial self-sacrifice to churches like City Church in Manchester. You already give generously to missions all around the world. And through your generosity over the last couple of years, we've been able to take on a family's youth and children's worker, and we've been able to take on an intern to work and be trained in the church. You, you are an example to us. And your generosity here at Wildwood has inspired us to make a commitment to give away 13% of our member giving this year towards mission to help church plants in Manchester, but also in, in Kiev, in Ukraine, in Dubai, and even over here in the eastern seaboard in Connecticut. But, you know, City Church and Wildwood Church, we need to do that financial self-sacrifice more and more and more. If we want to see the post-Christian world reach for Christ, we will need to send financially. And that will mean you and I making sacrifices. 
that you and I making decisions to forgo what we might otherwise buy for ourselves. But you know, it's not just financial sacrifices that the church in Antioch made. At the end of chapter 12, the reason Bob read that last verse of chapter 12 is we see Barnabas and Saul returning from their mission to Jerusalem. Now, I wonder how the leaders in Antioch were feeling in that moment when Saul and Barnabas came through the door. Brilliant! Brilliant! We got Barnabas back. Barnabas, his name means son of encouragement. This is like the the best disciple of men our church has ever known. And he's just walked in through the door. Our our session is going to swell with new elders as they're trained up in the church. And look, we've just got Saul coming in through the doors. This is the very man who wrote the letter to the Romans. How brilliant is his reaching going to be? But as the leaders pray and fast, The Holy Spirit speaks and he directs them to send out Barnabas and Saul for a specific mission. They send out their best men. And you as a church know about that, don't you? Because you have sent out one of your best women, Barbara. I cannot begin to explain what an enormous blessing Barbara has been to us. That the wisdom, the experience, the patience, the the love she has brought to City Church Manchester. You, as a church, you have sacrificially given to the cause of mission in Manchester. And we recognize your sacrifice. You you sent your best. Uh, 23 years ago, I was involved in the church plant in the center of Birmingham. The church grew from from just 20 people meeting in someone's living room uh, to almost 400 people today. And and in those last 23 years, that church has sent out eight people to be leaders of church plants, seven people to be missionaries overseas, five people to be pastors, two to be lecturers in seminaries, and another two are currently studying at seminary. That church sent out its best. Sending means sacrifice. It it meant sacrifice for the church in Antioch. It it meant sacrifice for my former church in Birmingham. It is meant sacrifice for you here at Wildwoods. It, It meant sacrifice for us at City Church Manchester. As two years ago, we sent out 30 of our best to plant a church in North Manchester. And you know what? It's going to mean sacrifice for you again in the future when you send out the next missionary to Manchester. It's going to mean sacrifice for us again when we send out the next church plant. What is it that's going to enable us to make those sort of sacrifices again and again and again? I wonder whether you've heard of CT Stud. Give me a nod if you've heard of CT Stud. Yeah, some of you. Uh, C.T. Studs, an Englishman born in 1860, he, he studied at Eton College, one of the poshest schools in England. He, he then went on to study at Cambridge University. And during his time at Cambridge, he played cricket for the England national team. Now, I know you, you haven't got a clue what cricket is, okay? I, I understand that. Right, cricket is what baseball could have been if you'd stayed <laughs> if you stayed on the right side of of the United Kingdom. 
Uh, cricket is a game that we play for five full days, having lunch and tea breaks in the middle of it, and still at the end of five days it can end in a draw. That, that's the sort of great sport we play in England. Now, Studd, in 1884, he cut short his glittering cricket career. In order to become a missionary, people were stunned. So he explained his decision. He said this, I know that cricket would not last, and honor would not last, and nothing in this world would last. But it was worthwhile living for the world to come. If Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. You know, friends, we will hold our money and we will hold our best friends lightly. We will send them generously because we serve a God who has held his riches, who has held his very best lightly and sent him into the world to be the sacrifice for sin in our place, taking the punishment that we deserve. Ascending means sacrifice for believers, but it is driven, empowered by our sacrificial saving God. Finally, Sending requires courage. Uh, Saul and Barnabas uh, set out on a 16-mile journey down to the port city of Seleucia in verse 4. Uh, from there, they hitch a ride over to Cyprus. Uh, they land on the eastern side of the island, and they set about on a preaching tour that takes them 90 miles across the island until they reach the, the new capital of Cyprus, Pathos, verse 6, all the way over on the west coast. And there in Paphos, they meet opposition in, in the shape of Elimas. Now, now, Elimas was a man full of contradictions. We're told, verse 6, that he was a Jew, yet he's also a sorcerer, even though sorcery is condemned in the Old Testament law. We're told that he was a false prophet, and yet he's called bar Jesus, which means son of Jesus. You know, you see, Elimas, Elimas is screwed up. He is a mess, and he has attached himself to the proconsul, who was the Roman governor of the island, a man called Sergius Paulus. Now, Sergius Paulus, he was a seeker. He was really interested. He wanted to know more about this good news that Christians were spreading. Verse 7, he sought to hear the word of God. But, but Elimas, verse 8, he opposed the apostles, seeking to turn the proconsul from the faith. Now, if we're sending, if we're proclaiming the word of God in the post-Christian West, or, or any other less reached territory, we are bound to meet both interest and opposition. It's inevitable. We've seen that at City Church. You know, not long after City Church launched, the preacher was up the front, and in through the side door of our main sanctuary walked two men dressed only in pink wigs and pink pants. You ever had that at Wildwood? 
At two of our last four Christmas carol services, we had to hire in security to stand at the door with stab vests because we'd received credible threats to harm people at our carol services. Notice how the opposition in Cyprus came from within the religious establishment. But that's so often the way that it is when we go about church planting. In the UK, the the national churches, they've been in freefall for years. And in a desperate attempt to kind of cling on to some semblance of respectability and acceptance, they have compromised again and again on the gospel truths. They've jettisoned the gospel and they've ended up mirroring secular society. And because they are desperate to survive... They are generally hostile towards Bible-teaching churches. They label churches like City Church as fundamentalists. They criticize us for holding to, to extremist nonsense about heaven and hell, about the cross and judgment. Well, look at how Saul, now known as Paul, responds. Verse 9, he looks intently at Elymas. And he tells him straight. You see, mission requires courage. There is a time for the softly, softly conciliatory approach. There is. But then there is another time for the robust, no-holds-barred approach. And that comes, that need for a robust approach comes when someone seeks to turn other people away from Jesus Christ. Friends, we need to pray for courage for those times. Listen to C.T. Studd again. He says, some wish to live within the sound of a chapel bell. I wish to run a rescue mission within a yard of hell. Just look at how Sergius Paulus responds. Verse 12, then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, that he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Now, now, we can read these verses and we can think, well, well, it's all right for Paul, okay? Paul, Paul is able to pull out a miracle to, to deal with Elimas, a judgment miracle. But notice that it wasn't the judgment miracle that brought Sergius Paulus to faith. Now, verse 12, it was the teaching about the law. How is the gospel going to impact the post-Christian world today? By churches sending and people going to courageously preach and teach the good news of Jesus. God uses his word to transform lives. He uses it to save, to bring people from darkness to light, from, from hell to heaven. That that was what he was doing in first century Cyprus. That is what he is doing today in 21st century Britain and 21st century Tallahassee. And my question for you this morning is, will you be a part of it? Will you get on board? Will you yourself go? Will, Will you give? Will you send? 
Someone has said this. The mark of a great church is not its seating capacity, but its sending capacity. That is what I want for City Church Manchester. I'm sure it's what you want for Wildwood Church too. But such sending will be driven by worship. Such sending will be undergirded by sacrifice. And such sending will be full of courage. May God be gracious and enable us to do that. Let me pray for us.